Hey guys, how many of you know that we're living in kind of in stormy times right now, right? Like there is a lot going on around the world and in our own backyard. There is political chaos. I know we kind of joked about it last, last week. We're still going to get texts from Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock for the next month. Like, bless the Lord. Amen. I love political runoffs. It's awesome. Um, there's financial chaos. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's saber rattling. There's earthquakes. There's volcanoes. There's hurricanes. Oh my. Like there's, there's a whole lot of things to be worried about. Every time you turn on the news, it's fear, 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 fear. Come on, like fear. Sometimes you just got to disconnect from it all. But I got good news for us today, okay, is if you're a little fearful or you're a little worried today, you're in the right place, right? Because here's the bad news, is that Jesus says, in this world, you will have problems. Jesus promises us problems, but the even better news is Jesus promises us his peace in the midst of the problems. Because he says, in this world, you're going to have problems, but in me, you can have peace because take heart. I've overcome the world. We're gathered here today under the name of the one who's overcome the world. Somebody come on. And it changes how we view everything that's happening in the world around us. And so what we're doing is this, since we have this promise from God that we can overcome the world, right? That we, we're not just going to survive the storms of this world. We're going to stand firm to the very end in the storms of this world. Since we have those promises, what we can actually do is we can sink anchor down into the promise of God that we have a way not just to survive, but actually to thrive in the storms of this world, right? And that's what we kicked off last week, this idea that the storms are here. And the bad news is God promises us that worse storms are coming. I know you're like, wow, why did I come to church today? Because you're actually in a place that believes what God says, right? And, and we're not just trying to have a good Sunday. We're trying to prepare you for Monday, because that's what God does, right? We're not just here to have rainbow and unicorns inside a building for an hour and a half. We're here to be prepared for life, right? And we want you to be equipped today for that day. Come on, we, we, we want you and your family, come on, your kids and your kids' kids and your kids' kids' kids to, to be able to stand firm and stand strong and be anchored to the very end and be saved no matter what storm comes. And the only way a ship can make it in the worst storms is by dropping anchor in something that won't budge, right? And the same thing is true for us. The only way we're going to make it through the worst storms is if we drop anchor in things that won't move, right? And so last week, we saw that the safest place in the world is to drop anchor in the thing that will never move, and his name is Jesus, Right, And so we're going to be a people who are going to be anchored in Jesus' is what? Jesus' is salvation, Jesus' is presence, and Jesus' is love. And today, we're dropping anchor in the next trustworthy place. All right? And so James gets us there. Okay, so James chapter 1, verse 2. Just kind of go with me. I know some of you are going to struggle here. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pause. What? 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 You ever read something in the Bible and you're like, nah, 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 nah. I don't know what James is smoking that day, but that ain't true. That ain't true. 
That ain't true, right? He says, not if, but when you face trials. Come on, a lot of us are living with an if mentality because we're Americans, right? No, when you have trials. So here's what we need to know, guys. We are not the first people in the history of the world to have trials, to have troubles. In fact, James, this is the, really the first letter that's written in the New Testament. James is writing to Christians who are being actively murdered for their faith. And so he says, hey, guys, take joy that you're being murdered. Why in the world would we ever take joy? Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Here's what he's saying. When I go through trials well, I get stronger. I'm going to come over here and say it to this side because that side didn't get it. Come on, you know what I'm talking. You are stronger today because of what you went through yesterday. Right? You can pray bigger today. Come on, your faith is bigger today. Your love is stronger today. You are more generous today. You worship louder today because of what you went through yesterday. So let perseverance finish its work. In other words, you cannot let perseverance finish its work. If we were really honest, a lot of us don't want to let perseverance finish its work. We, we, we want to groan our way out of troubles instead of grow our way out of troubles. Right? We, 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 we try and squirm our way out of difficult situations instead of actually learn and grow and worship our way through them. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Here's what James says. James says that storms can either destroy us or develop us. And you kind of get to pick what's going to happen. You can kind of choose whether or not you're destroyed or developed on the other side of a storm. And what James says is he points us to, to verse 5, which we usually separate out from this context of trials. But he puts wisdom right in the middle of trials. Lots of times we're like, oh, God, give me wisdom. No, 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 no. That's, di that's directly attached to, to taking joy in trials. And what he's saying is this. Here's what James is saying. He's saying, if you don't understand what's going on in your troubles and trials, ask God for wisdom about what you're going through. And God delights in shining light in troubled times. This past, this past Tuesday, um, Summer and I got the call that no parent ever wants to get. 7.10 a.m., um, Jeremiah calls us in an accident. And uh, he's fine. Uh, Isaac was in the car with him. They were on their way to school. They're fine. His car is not. <laughs> um, and because of blessed daylight savings, everybody just thank God for daylight savings. Like, is it like 1,600? Like, why do we still do this, right? Okay. Um, because of daylight savings, the sun was in a place where it's normally not. Because of elections on Tuesday, traffic was where it's usually not. You combine those factors together, boom, right? Both airbags go off, both cars totaled, sons are a little scraped up, um, but they're fine. Praise God, they're fine. 
and I was actually in the midst of writing this sermon right here. <laughs> so I took James at his word and I said, God, would you give me wisdom to see things like you do? Would you give me wisdom from your word? Like, can you shine light on this? Cause I don't get it. Right. And he began taking me back to the Bible. He began taking me back to his promises. He began reminding me that Jesus makes us a promise. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll be with us always, even to the very end of the age. He took me back to Psalm 91, which we read last week, right? Where God says, I promise I will command my angels to take guard over your life. And then God asked me this question. He said, hey, do you trust me more now than you did before the accident? And I said, yeah. And he said, is your faith stronger now than it was before the accident? And I said, yeah. And I felt this joy begin to come over me. Why? Because I didn't know why the accident happened, but I do know what the accident produced in me, which is an increase in faith, increase of worship, increase of joy. And here's how I'd say it, guys. I can get joy in it if I can get God's perspective on it. Well, no matter what's going on, I can get joy in it if I can get God's perspective on it. So here's the thought, guys. If I'm going to stand strong in the storms, I need to get God's wisdom on what's happening in the world around me and how I need to think about it, how I need to view it. And God's wisdom is God's word, which is the Bible. Is the Bible. God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. I actually was just looking at this earlier. There are 8,810 promises in the Bible. Somebody actually did the math on this. They looked, they spent like a year and a half, 8,810 promises. And I was like, I'm curious. I literally just did this right before the service. 8,810, how many is that a day? And I divided by 365. You know what it is? 24 promises a day. There is one promise from God for every hour of your life. There's a promise from God you can go to. But James says that if I doubt God's word, if I think God's word is true sometimes, but not all the time, I'm like a ship without an anchor. I'm going to be tossed to, well, I don't know. Maybe it's just true for them. It's not true. I don't know. Maybe it's true back then. It's not true right now. Right. And I'm going to be tossed all over the place. I'm going to be seasick in my faith. Come on. So today, here's what we're doing. We're talking about, about the reality that if I'm actually going to stand strong in the storms of this life and the, in the upside down world that we live in and all the things that are happening, here's what I got to do. I got to put my anchor in God's word. I got to put my anchor right there. My life has to be tethered to God's truth, to God's words, to God's perspective, to God's heart, to God's promises. Come on. When a loved one dies, how do I think about it? When, when financial collapse happens, how do I think about it? That we live in a world that is, that is screaming about abortion is screaming about transgenderism. How do I think about it? I got to be anchored right here, right here, right here, right here, right here, right here. God's truth in the Bible is a firm and secure anchor for the soul. Here's what we know. America has a pretty complicated relationship with the Bible, right? In fact, let, let, we pulled a few statistics here from Barna, from Pew Research, from a number of different places. 
Um, we're going to kind of go left to right, okay? Left to right here. Here's, here's uh, uh, top left. 80% of U.S. adults believe in God. Praise God. Woo, yeah. 56% believe in God as described in the Bible. Wait, what? Okay, so one out of every four people you meet, it's like, nope. One out of every four people you meet, it's like, yes, I believe in God. But then you find out you're not talking about the same God. So 56% of adults in the, in the U.S. would say, hey, I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe in Jehovah. That's, for really, that's what they would say. Here's the problem. Top center. 66% of Christians believe that all paths lead to heaven. What? Okay, I should say self-identified Christians. Okay, no, nobody's like really reading, you know, into, I'm not their judge. I don't know. But here's what I know. If all paths lead to heaven, then Jesus is a liar because he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father by me except by me. And here's the problem. If Jesus is a liar, then he wasn't perfect, which means his sacrifice for our sins doesn't count. So it means it's not possible for all paths to lead to heaven. But two-thirds of people who say that they're Christians believe that all paths do lead to heaven. Top, top right, 43% of Christians believe Jesus was a good teacher, but that he wasn't God. What? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus, come on, like... Uh, the number is somewhere around 80% of, of young adult Catholics believe that Jesus sinned. Why? Because we don't read the Bible. Here's the middle, the, the left. 45, uh, 54% of U.S. adults believe that the Bible contains everything they need for a meaningful life. Yes, the Bible's got everything I need, but we don't read it. 75% don't read it. Yes, it's got everything I need. No, no, no. I don't, I, I don't know. I got a Bible. I could pick it up from the hotel. I stole it from the hotel. Is that all right? The Gideon said I could. Um, I don't know where it is, though. Like, I, I don't read it. 26% of Christians believe the Bible is helpful, but that it's not actually true. Bottom left, here's what it's accumulating into. 6% of Americans possess a biblical worldview. Biblical worldview means this. It's how I interpret and process and respond to the world around me. The glasses that I view and the life that I live, um, and that if I have a biblical worldview, I'm going to see things through the lens of, the, of what God says about it. I'm going to live in light of how God says that I should live. In other words, it's discipleship. So 6% of America are disciples. 56% they say they believe in the God of the Bible. 6% are actually disciples. And the scariest statistic of all is the one in their bottom right. 2% of American parents with children under 13 have a biblical worldview. Which means 98 out of 100 parents of young children in this country don't trust truth, aren't anchored in truth. And why that's scary, why that matters is you can't give what you don't have. And so we have a generation. Listen, what it used to be, it wasn't right, but what, the, what it used to be, a lot of our story, right? We were raised in church, went and did your own thing. When you're 20, which is why we have fusion, by the way, you went and did your own thing in your 20s, 30s, made all your mistakes, right? And then you came back to Christ a little bit later, right? It, why? It's because you had the seeds sown into you when you were younger. We have a whole generation that doesn't have an anchor. We have a generation that doesn't have anything to come back to. So when they stray, they just keep going darker and darker and darker and further and further and further. And what all this is telling us is that we have a whole lot of Christians with a whole lot of jacked up beliefs, right? And here's what, here's what it looks like, okay? Just go with me. Is it's almost like we, we've, we've taken a little bit of Christianity, right? 
taking the name Jesus, right? And the idea of the Bible and the idea there's a God up there, right? And we put it in the pot. And then we took a little bit of Eastern mysticism, right? A little bit of astrology, a little bit of burning sage, a little bit of crystals, put it in the pot. And then we take a little bit of moralistic therapeutic deism, which we talked about, which is basically like God's a nice God. He just wants to bless me. He would never hurt my feelings. We put that in the pot. And we take a little bit of secular humanism, which is, hey, we're basically all people are pretty good, right? And if we just change the climate enough and if we elect the right person, we can actually make a utopia here on earth. And we put that in the pot. And then we put it, take a little postmodernism, which is like, hey, there's no absolute truth. So what's true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. And we put that in the pot and we mix it up and we make this theological Frankenstein. And that becomes our faith. And then we say, I'm a Christian. No, that's called syncretism, which is the number one thing that God comes down on in the Bible, which is you have other gods. And let me tell you guys, God does not like roommates. God hates roommates. He's the only one on the throne. And what that does is it begins to explain the state of America today. Okay, and here's, here's a graphic I got from a friend of mine named Ed Stetzer. Okay, and here's the big idea, okay? Maybe this begins to explain a little bit of what's happening in the world. You can maybe begin to make a little bit of sense of it. Over here on the left, if we just generalize it and say the past. Okay, the past was essentially this, is that those bottom three right there on the left, cultural Christians, congregational Christians, convictional Christians, we used to kind of like run together. Okay, so what's a cultural? Cultural Christian is, ah, if I had to pick from a list, I'd say I'm a Christian, right? A congregational Christian is, well, I go to church, so I'm a Christian, which by the way, did it, thank God you're here, but just because you're in church doesn't mean you're a Christian, right? We joke about that. Just because you're in the parking lot doesn't mean you're a car, right? You know what I'm saying? Like it, the, the fact that you're just because you go to go to a football game, you're not a pro, right? Like you can be there and observing it, but it doesn't mean you're one of the, okay. So cultural Christians, congregational Christians, then convictional Christians are Jesus is the son of God. The word of God is true. These are the disciples. So it used to be, if we can just kind of re rewind back, the, the cultural Christians and congregational Christians and convictional Christians kind of ran together. Remember the days of moral majority and this is a Christian nation and all that sort of stuff, right? And what it, what it did was it pushed non-Christians, like atheists, agnostics, like on an island by themselves, right? But what's happened is, as we've unanchored from truth... The cultural Christians, again, I'm just, I'm, we're in a Christian nation, right? So I'm kind of Christian. Congregational Christians mean that I go to church. Those beliefs that they have actually align closer to non-Christians. If you, if, if you actually study the beliefs of cultural Christians and congregational Christians, their beliefs align more with non-Christians than it does with the Bible. And so what it's done is the streams have shifted. We're now convictional Christians. Disciples are on an island by themselves. That's why when you look out at the world, you're like, what in the world is happening? It's because we've untethered from truth. And the, the people who call themselves Christians are actually now the harshest critics of Christianity. This is an issue, guys. Right? This, this is a huge issue because now we have people who say that they're Christians who say, no, nah, love is love. We have people who say that they're Christians, who, 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 call, who call people who actually believe the Bible intolerant bigots, right? And so it's produced uh, this place where disciples are now on an island where we're not used to being. We're used to being in the majority. 
But now we're having to adjust to this place where it's like, hey, wait a second. There's all these people who say that they're Christians who have radically different beliefs than what the Bible says. Because people who claim Christ have left truth. Guys, and now we have this thing called progressive Christianity who say that Christianity has changed, right? The things that God said back then, it's, it's kind of changed. He adapts to the times, right? Like God is learning, right? God's adapt, God's, God's experiencing evolution. And we have a whole lot of people who claim Christ who act like it's their job to protect Christianity from Christ. We gotta protect, we gotta protect the church from Jesus because he's gonna mess this thing up. And so what we do, we reinterpret everything, right? And we say, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus would never say that. My Jesus would never say that. You hear people talk about my Jesus? Hey, come on, all you my Jesus people. You better make sure that your Jesus is the real Jesus. He's not just an ideity, you know, like God you made up in your mind. And what happened is, guys, too many of us were trying to make Christianity not offensive. But you remember that they crucified Jesus, right? Like, you remember that part? It's kind of important. It's about two-thirds of the way through, right? Because he's the rock of offense. And now we have entire denominations who've split over sexuality issues. Guys, chapter and verse. Like, we, we do several sermons on that one right there, right? We got Lutherans. We got Methodists. We got Presbyterians. That's, that's where I grew up, right? We got Anglicans who have split and fractured over God's word, and they're falling apart now. Why? Because they pulled up anchor from truth. They pulled up anchor from truth and they anchored in public opinion. And we're spending our times trying to make people happy instead of lead them to Jesus. And I still remember this years ago. I, said, I, I gained so much respect for Rick Warren when they were asking him about the current issues of the day and he wouldn't back down. And he said, guys, you, you need to understand, I fear the disapproval of God more than I fear the disapproval of man. And this is why, this is why Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, he says, I solemnly urge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up the kingdom. In other words, this is serious. Preach the word of God. Pre Timothy, preach the word. Young guy, young preacher, preach the word. Any young preachers today, preach the word. Don't be preaching opinion. Don't be preaching current hot topic. Come on, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. Why? For a time is coming when people no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. By the way, that time is now. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, dude. Why? Because the world is preaching to you 24-7. Right? You're, some of you are going to come up to me in the lobby like, hey, pastor, this is a friend of mine, and they don't come to church because of messages like this. Like, they don't want to be preached at, and so could we change that? And what you don't know, guys, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok are preaching to you every single day. There's a friend of mine who calls it heretic talk. Heretic, heretic talk. That's preacher, preacher humor right there. They're preaching to you about how do you gain followers? What do you say to be liked? What do you say that's going to get you canceled and rejected? 
How do you, how do you gain followers? How, what's truth? What's lies? Every single time you scroll, it's trying to preach to you and change your world worldview. And my listen, guys, my number one grief, some of you are online even right now, my number one grief is the next, specifically the next generation who I see parroting, squawk parroting the language of the world, who claim Christ. They say, I'm a Christian, I got baptized, I did this, all that sort of stuff. But all we're doing is talking about what the world is talking about and their vantage point. Why? It's because we're listening to a hundred more of their sermons than we are of this truth. Every time you scroll, it's preaching a sermon, preaching a sermon. It's indoctrinating you into the world's truth, which is darkness. And so what we have to do is we have to come and get re-anchored in truth. And now here's the deal, guys. Let me just say this. Uh, I am not doom and gloom. I, 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 I'm not concerned about Christianity, by the way. Christianity, if the Lord tarries, will outlive all of us. The gates of hell will never overcome the church. Come on, the blood of Jesus will never lose its power. <laughs> the, word, the truth of God will never stop being true. Come on, the, the, the gospel is not the china in the china shop. The gospel is the bull in the china shop. Nothing can stand, withstand the move of God. Come on. But here's the deal. I'm not content with a small core, uh, a remnant of convictional Christians in America. I'm not content with that. I want our nation to know the real Jesus. I want to see you and your family and your kids get anchored in truth. And so we, we got to talk about that. We got to go all in on being anchored to truth. So here, here, here's the question. Okay, here's the question. How do we do that? What does it look like to anchor in truth? Here, I'm going to walk you through it real quick. I want to give you the ABCs of getting anchored in truth. Here's the first thing I got to do. I have to admit that without God, I am blind. I got to admit that without God, I am blind. In John 9, Jesus does a fascinating miracle that's disgusting. Y'all know this one, right? He finds this blind guy. And instead of just praying for him, which is what he does most of the time, he's like, oh, I got an idea. <laughs> to it, All right? He spits in some dirt, makes a little mud sandwich out of it, puts it on the dude's eyes. And everybody's like, oh, couldn't have done that one a little different. Um, and essentially, here, here's, what I, here's how I love to think about it. Jesus is essentially, we're made from dust, right? He's essentially recreating the man's eyeballs. Like that's, he's literally recreating, he's breathing, he's putting the eyes back in there. He's forming it, the life word is forming his eyes back in there. And what happens is the Pharisees find this man, the Pharisees hate Jesus. And so they're like, hey, can you, can you talk bad about Jesus? And when the blind man who can now see, right, doesn't talk bad about Jesus, they kick him out of the synagogue and Jesus finds him. Nine, John 9, 35 says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and he asked him, do you believe in the son of man? That's a very cryptic language from the book of Daniel talking about the Messiah. And the man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. And then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are really blind. And some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, oh, are you saying we're blind? Well, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus re replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Woo, I love Jesus when he gets a little spicy. 
See, here's the deal. The miracle stands on its own, but Jesus isn't just performing a miracle. What he's doing is he's creating a sign that points to a greater reality. It points to a greater thing that he's trying to get through. And what Jesus is really trying to get through is this, is that the ones who say they can see are really blind. And the one who is blind is actually the one who can really see. Because here's what I know. Jesus can do a great work with people who confess that they're blind. Jesus can do a great work with people who confess that they can't see. You know, do, do, do we say, no, I got it. I'm right. I know better than God. Like I, I've heard people talk about the Bible. No, I know I can. You know, most, most people in the world are like drivers who get lost but don't want to ask for directions. I'm going to fake it till I make it. Like, no, no, I got, I know where, I know what I'm doing here. You have no clue what you're doing. You're driving blind, right? Or do we humble ourselves and we say, God, I'm blind. I don't know right from wrong. I don't know up from down. (laughs) Would you give me your truth and would you help me see? You are the prime candidate for the one that God's going to open up your eyes so you can actually see truth. Because the truth is, is that our sinful nature has blinded us. You know, John 3, we, the, the light came into the world, but we love darkness, so we hid in the dark, right? We, the, in the darkness is our lies, is our death, is our deceit. And what happens is Jesus came into the world, and it was like the light switch got flipped on, and we were like, ah, because it exposed all the lies and all the evil that we had been in. And what happens is people get angry at the light, but I would encourage you to shift your perspective. Don't get angry at the light. Get angry at the dark, For keeping you in lies and death and deception. It may be comfortable in there, but the clock is ticking and you're you're drinking poison every single day. Because we live in a dark world that has pulled anchor from truth. And here's the deal, guys. A lot of people have been saying this for a long time, and now we're shocked when we see what's happening in the world around us. When you pull anchor from truth and you put your anchor in emotions, anything goes. Anything and everything goes. In other words, you ain't even seen nothing yet. Because when you pull anchor from truth, everything's true. And anything's true and nothing's true all at the same time. And it's what Pastor Dennis has said for years. It's like, you know, you're driving a car and the car got out of alignment, starts pulling this direction. What would a sane person do? I'm going to take it to the shop and I'm going to get it fixed. But what happened is we live in a world that says, no, 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 no. That's how your car was made to go. And so what we're going to do, we're just going to start building crooked roads. We're going to affirm your crookedness. And like, oh, look at my life. I'm so great. Look at me. I'm just going around in circles. Is my truth. Oh, oh, there's a cliff. I'm going to drive off it. Well, bless the Lord. It's your truth. It's your truth. Your truth is about to kill you. That's why Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Guys, we live in a dark world where, where, where good is called evil, and anyone who dares to call evil evil is evil. Because the world is full of people who claim they can see, but they're really blind. And so what it is, is the blind are preaching to the blind. And Jesus said, hey, you both going to fall in a pit if you do that. And here's the deal. I'm not sitting here jabbing at the world, because the world's going to be the world. The world lives in darkness, like Come on, like, I'm not judging the world. Like, that's, that's not my job. My problem is Christians are buying it. 
My problem is Christians are listening to the sermons of the world and buying into it, and it's influence. We're syncretizing, like we're 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 changing our viewpoints on, on this. And our first step, guys, to anchor in truth so we can actually stand firm to the very end and be saved, to actually stand firm in the storms, is to pray like, God, I am blind without you. Your ways are higher than my ways, and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And left to myself, I'm going to create how I view life based on how the government says. Listen, you can track back the beliefs of of our nation to edicts that the government has made. I'm going to base my beliefs on what the government says and what my friends say and what public opinion is on how to not be rejected. God, I don't know, but you do. Shine your light and help me to see. And if you approach God like that, he will open up the windows of heaven over your life and he will give you eyes to see his truth. So how do I anchor in truth? First thing I have to do is I have to confess, I have to admit that without God, I am blind. Second thing is I have to believe, A, B, I have to believe that the Bible is true. Now, I know a little bit of this. Come on, guys. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm also not naive to the statistics I put up a second ago. If we're ever going to anchor in the truth of God, we first have to settle that God's word is true. If I'm going to anchor in this, I have to believe it's true. Not just true sometimes. I have to believe it's true all the time. Uh, it, it, you know, in Jesus is what we would call high priestly prayer, John 17. He prays like this in verse 14. He's speaking to the Father and he says this, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Pause. Can we just come to terms with that? Listen, becoming a Christian is not about trying to be popular. <laughs> I'm sorry. They murdered the one our faith is based in. What did we think was going to happen? I know it was a good ride, right, here in America for a while. Guys, can we just admit and come to terms with the world will hate us? Why? Because we're not of the world any more than Jesus is of the world. My prayer, this is what Jesus says, my prayer is not, God, that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. And they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, purify them, make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus says, God's word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Some of the last words of Jesus on earth, this is just a few hours before he's crucified, are him trying to anchor us to truth. He's saying, guys, you can trust God's word. It's truth. You're gonna be hated for it. You're gonna be persecuted for it. You're gonna be murdered for it. But listen, even in the midst of that, it's the safest place to be. Even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of hatred and the sword, God's word is the safest place to be. That's why the Apostle Paul, he echoes it later, again, writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. He says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. (laughs) Are we noticing a theme here? Notice it does not say anyone who wants to live a godly life. Everyone. If you actually want to follow God, you will be persecuted. Why? Evil people and imposters, they're going to flourish. In other words, the blind are going to lead the blind. They will deceive others and themselves be deceived. But Timothy, you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know that they are true, for you know you can trust the ones who taught you. And you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God. I love that. That word in the Greek is theonoustos. All scripture is God breathed. God breathed. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. 
What does God's word do? It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired 100%. Come on, not 75%. Not, it, this is not a cafeteria where you just walk, I'm taking a little bit of blessing. I'm taking, I want the greens, though. I want the greens. I'll take this. I want the Old Testament. I'm going to take a little bit of the blessing, right? Cut out most of the red letters because those are a little offensive. That's not my Jesus. 100% true. Not just the parts you agree with. Not just the parts that line up with your political party. Not just the parts that don't talk about homosexuality. Not just the parts that don't talk about calling you out of your sinful lifestyle. 100%. It's either all true or it's not true. And here's what Peter says about it. He he, he reaches back to the Old Testament. He he says this again, 1 Peter 1. He says, for all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Here's what I know, guys. People change and people die, but the word of God does not change and it will never die. It will never perish. It is strong. It's consistent. It's a trustworthy place to drop the anchor of our lives in. It's unflinching, fiery grace and truth, which leads us to Jesus. It points out where we fall short, and it points out the one who can save us when we fall short. There are way too many people who say that they follow Jesus but don't believe in the Bible. How do you even know who Jesus is? How do you even know who Jesus is if you don't have this? Listen, even when it goes against everything we feel, the Bible can be trusted. Why? Because the Bible is truth. The Bible is God's unflinching, fiery, unchanging truth. So how do I anchor to truth? I have to admit that I'm blind. I have to believe that God's word is true, and then I have to construct my life on God's truth. I had to construct my, I had to build my life on God's truth. Um, when I was leading uh, Fusion here a long time ago, <laughs> uh, 17 years ago, uh, um, I, I didn't even know it. Uh, I was just picking up the hot books at that time. I was reading a lot of the, the guys who um, were kind of popular at that time. And what I didn't know, I had kind of gotten into what we would call today progressive Christianity. It was postmodern Christianity. It was um, asking a whole lot of questions but not giving any answers. It was poking holes. And, um, it, was, it was viewing the Bible very, as a very low view, a very loose view. Um, it, 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 was, it was borderline heresy is really what it was. Um, I was up to my eyeballs in it. And when you're in something like that, you don't know that you're in it. Like the, the frog in the pot of boiling water. Like you're just, this is just what it is. And uh, I actually picked up a book from a local pastor and he was talking about all these guys. And he said, hey, I know nobody likes to call people out by name. He's like, but I got to, because this is a big thing right now. And he says, hey, this guy says this. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I know. That. I read that book. He said, this guy says that. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's one of my favorite sermons right there. And this guy says that. And you're like, oh bro, I preach that. And he's like, but here's what the Bible says. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. And my heart was like, is it really that easy? Is it really that easy to be led astray? Is that why Jesus and Paul and pretty much everybody in the New Testament says, watch out for false teachers? Is it really that easy for a wolf to put on sheep's clothing? 
and to look like a sheep and just follow them? Is it really that easy? And that's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about man's wisdom. He said, guys, man's wisdom is really tricky because it sounds good. There's a reason why people listen to Oprah. There's a reason why people watch Dr. Phil. There's a reason why people go to Tony Robbins seminars because it sounds good. It sounds right, but it's untethered from truth and it's wandering out into the middle of the, of the desert. There are no answers there. And I had a choice to make in that moment. I had a choice to make. Am I going to build my life on these guys' teachings or am I going to build my life on God's truth? And here's what I'll say. 17 years later, those guys have like disappeared. But God's word is still doing okay. God's word is still doing all right. Because it hasn't changed. And guys, these chapters and these verses and these promises are, are, are the wood and the, the two by fours and the hammer and the nails of my life. Like this is what my life is constructed of. It's because God's way works. God's way can be trusted. Come, come on, guys, like think about it. Like Theonusos, like God breathe. These, these are God's promises for life. This is God's love letter. This is God's life letter. This, this is how the author of life says to do life. We don't have to wander in the darkness. This is light. This is truth. This points us to Jesus, right? We can walk in this and be saved. And here's what, here's what I have to do, okay? Here's what I have to do is that I have to take this and I have to replace this with this. Here's, here's what Paul says, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, we kind of have two options. I'm either going to shape my life around the things of this world, almost like plastic wrap, shape my life around the way that the world works, or I'm going to allow God's truth to replace those lies. And here's what that means, guys. Whenever God and I disagree, God wins. <laughs> Whenever it doesn't make sense, he wins. Whenever his, think about this. Whenever his way is higher than my way and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, I don't pull his way down to my way. I allow that tension to pull my way up to his way. I don't bring him down to me. I accept that call to come up to him. Because guys, God's word teaches us how to be married. God's word teaches us how to raise our kids. God's word teaches us how to handle money. It teaches us how to handle our sexuality. It teaches us how to walk in peace. God's word teaches us how to worship. God's word teaches us how to make wise decisions. God's word teaches us how to be saved. And I can bring my feelings to God's word and get clarity. I can bring my opinions to God's word and get truth. I can bring my storms to God's word and get his wisdom. And I have a promise, guys, two-thirds of our problems would be solved today if we just did it God's way. If we just did it God's way, instead of stubbornly trying to do it our own way. I, I have a word for you. Listen, do not say that God does not speak if you're not reading your Bible. Well, God doesn't speak to me. Here's the last thought. Okay, Matthew 7. Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, not just hears them, not just listen and take some notes and listens to a sermon. No, but if you hear them and put my words into practice, you're like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came, the storms came, the stream rose, chaos broke out, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because that life had been built on the rock of God's word. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the same storm came, but it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus says this, what's gonna determine whether or not you're still standing on the other side of the storm is what do you do with this? Do you build on this or do you actually just hear this and go do it your own way? And guys, I don't know about you, but as far as me and my house are concerned, come on, we're gonna admit that without God, we're blind. We're gonna believe God's word is true. We're gonna construct our lives on God's truth. We're gonna be anchored in God's truth as far as me and my house are concerned. Come on. I don't know what the world's gonna do, but I know that we're gonna serve the Lord. We're gonna build our lives on God's truth, and therefore, we will never fall. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Hey, let's bow our heads. In, um, I was reading this this last week in John 6. Jesus is uh, teaching, and he just fed the 5,000, and they all come back to him for more bread. <laughs> and so he starts teaching, and all the people who were just in it for bread, they leave. Guys, here's the truth. There's, there's a lot of people who are in this for the bread, who are in this for the blessing. But when Jesus starts preaching real truth, there's a whole lot of people who press the eject button. No, 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 I just wanted the blessing. And in fact, so many people leave that Jesus looks at the 12 disciples. And he says, hey, are you guys gonna leave too? And it's there that Peter says something that defines my life. I don't know if it defines your life or not. Peter looks at Jesus in the midst of everybody leaving. Jesus says, are you gonna leave too? And Peter says this. He says, Lord, where else would we go? Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. He says, we've come to know and to believe that you're the Holy One of God. Where else would we go? He says, we live in this world that's upside down. We live in this world, this craziness. We live in this world where nothing makes sense. I'm not in this thing just for the bread. Thank God for the bread. But God, I need your word. Because where else would I go? God, I'm lost without your word. I don't know up from down without your word. I'm blind without your word. And your word is truth. And God, I need your word so I can build my life on it. And so here's what we're gonna do in this moment, guys. Here's, here's what I wanna lead you to do. If you're in the room, you're online, wherever you find yourself today, we just need to have a moment and we need to repent for compromising the truth, for syncretism, for saying, well, God, I'm gonna take that part, but I'm also gonna allow the way that the world thinks to kind of indoctrinate me and come in and I'm gonna compromise who I am. I, 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 maybe some of us, we've wandered from truth and we've kind of built our own theological Frankenstein, Right? Today, God's calling us back in. God, you, your word is truth. Let God be true and every man be a liar. Your word is truth. God, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. God, your word is truth. And God, I'm praying even right now that in a strong sense, God, your, your fiery truth would come in and would burn up all the lies. 
And right now, here's what we do, God. We confess faith in Christ. We confess faith in Christ that, that Jesus Christ alone can save us. Jesus Christ alone can redeem us. Jesus Christ alone is truth. God, right now, come on, guys, I invite you to even just kind of pray along these lines. God, right now, come on, pray with me. Come on, open up your lips. God, right now, I leave the lies. I leave a heart that would believe the lies. I repent for walking in darkness. I repent for listening to the world. I leave it behind and I look at you, Jesus Christ. I trust you. You're the son of God. I build my life on you. You have all of me. Help me to trust you and build on you and anchor in you no matter what storms come from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I don't know how that hits you. Peter's words shook me this week. God, where else would we go? Here's the reality, guys. We have a thousand places we could go, but they're all dead ends. They all go off cliffs. <laughs> There's only one safe place to build our lives. That's in God's truth. So here's what we're gonna do, okay? We're gonna kind of end how we began. We're gonna worship for a minute. Um, but here's what I want us to do. I want us to go back to James 1, okay? Where he said this. He said, if you're going through a trial, ask God for wisdom. Now, God's wisdom is God's word. Here's the problem. You're gonna have a hard time pulling things out of your heart if you didn't put them into your heart, which is why we need to make some decisions today that we're gonna go be people of truth. We're gonna go be people of the word, right? We're gonna pick up our Bibles. If you don't even know where to pick up your Bible today, go, go to the book of John. Just start in the book of John. Just start right there and just start walking through. You don't know, go, to, go get the YouVersion app, okay, on the app store and just type in John. I don't even know where that is, right? Just start in John. But here's what we're gonna do here over this next minute, okay? We're gonna pray as the storms that we're going through. God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom to see things like you do. God, shine your light on the circumstances that I'm going through. God, shine your light on the circumstances in the world around me. God, give me Give me the glasses to put on, which is your truth, on how to see these things. Give me wisdom to see things like you do. So here's what I wanna invite you to do, okay? Some of you need to stand up. I'm gonna invite you to stand up and worship. Here's the deal. There's no judgment if you sit down. You need to process in this moment, okay? Some of you need to kind of come down to the front and just kind of kneel and just have a set-apart moment and just, hey, God, I really need your wisdom right now, okay? So get in that posture, whatever that is, so you can process, so you can pray, so you can receive God's wisdom, and let's worship together. Amen.